You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. We're doing a series uh, throughout this year. We've actually only done it once and one other time, and today's our second week. But it's a series you might not know that we were even doing this series, but it is uh, the Feast of Israel. The, throughout the Old Testament, there are times when God has given the people of Israel uh, festivals, feasts, parties to be able, and they all commemorate some special event, that they would be uh, a moment where God and Israel came together, that they would be the celebration or, or perhaps a, a thanksgiving for his, his care, for his love. And so throughout this year, uh, we're going to be looking at the different feasts throughout the Old Testament, specifically the ones that Jesus fulfilled. That Jesus came and that these feasts were to remember the past, remember where God met the people. And Jesus came and he fulfills these feasts and he again meets the people and he, he fulfills them for you and I. And so we've been, we're going to be doing this series, but it's kind of spread out. It's a weird series because we're doing it on the day of that festival. And so several weeks ago or a couple months ago, a month and a half ago, Elliot did, uh, looked at the Passover. Passover is when uh, God brought the people out of Egypt. You know, remember Moses talks to Pharaoh, and, and there's, these seven, there's these plagues, and the people are released, and uh, the, God sends the angel of death uh, among the people, and anyone that has put blood on the doorpost, the angel passes over, and the, the firstborn son lives in that home. And so Pharaoh releases the people, and Moses takes all the people, all the Hebrews, all the Jews, out of Egypt. And in this scamper in the middle of the night to, to free, there are many people that the Egyptians had as, as slaves. And so the Hebrews leave, but so do other nationalities. Other people see this is our opportunity, this is our chance to get out from the thumb of, of the Pharaoh. And so other nations, other, other tribes of people that don't speak Hebrew, that aren't related, flee with the Israelites. And you have this multitude of people groups, this multitude of nations, of ethnicities that leave and flee flee at Passover. And so Elliot had talked to us about Passover and then showed us how Jesus fulfilled the Passover celebration. Because part of Passover was to sacrifice an unblemished lamb, a lamb without any flaws, for the forgiveness of the sins of the people. And at the same thing, Jesus fulfills this, that he had no sin, he was unblemished, and he was sacrificed on the cross for the sins of all mankind, for your sins and mine. So we looked at that several weeks ago, and, and shortly after, the day after the, the Passover, is the Festival of First Fruits, which was a celebration of the barley feast, but it was also, and you would present your first fruits, that the first of your crops, you would give, uh, give this to, to the Lord. And so Jesus fulfilled that in that he was, the, when, on the day of his resurrection, he was the first fruits of the risen, that he, he would be the first of the many that would come and be raised and spend eternity in heaven, just like those of us that are believers in Christ, we will be part of those fruits. Jesus was the first. And so we have these festivals that that God has given to the Israelites and Jesus fulfilled. And so today we are going to look at another one. Today that is celebrated on this day. It is Shavuot. And so uh, first hour, I, said, I had everyone say happy Shavuot, and then I found out how to say it in Hebrew. And so Jacob had taught me, and so it's Shavuot Tov. Is that correct? Did I say it right? All right, so if everyone could say Shavuot Tov. All right, that means happy Shavuot. So happy Shavuot, everybody. Shavuot Tov to you. Uh, Shavuot 
is this festival. It's called the Festival of Weeks. And so it is celebrated a week's worth of weeks after the first fruits. So a week is seven days, so seven weeks, seven Sabbaths later, so plus a day, we have Shavat. So do the math, seven times seven, 49 days plus a day, and you have 50 days after the first fruits is Shavat. And that is where we're at today. June 5th would be the day that we would celebrate this. It's not always on June 5th. It follows the Jewish calendar, but for this year, it lines up on June 5th, that we would celebrate Shabbat. And so I'm excited to tell you a little bit about this festival and then to tell you about this connection, this amazing New Testament connection with God and how this all comes together. So we begin by looking at the festival of Shabbat, the, the festival of weeks, the, a week's worth of weeks, right? And we see, get into it in Leviticus chapter 23. I'm going to read verses 15 through 17. It says, from the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. For wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two tenths of an ephod of the finest flour, baked with yeast as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord." So the early festival of festival of first fruits was the barley harvest, and so they would bring the first of the barley harvest. And now, fifty days later, the wheat is beginning to be harvested. And so at this celebration, we would present the the first fruits of the the wheat harvest. This is where they would come and and present the wheat to the Lord. And this celebration of Shavat was a single day awesome celebration. The point of the celebration was thanksgiving. It wasn't just to rely on where Passover was to think of our sins that that we've committed and and passed, but this was a celebration of of God's graciousness, a celebration of what he's given us, of his provision. So this was a celebratory day. This was an exciting day, a day that they would want to celebrate and, and enjoy. This was a day that it was a very personal day. Notice that you were to make this bread in your home. With some festivals like Passover, you often, some people would have, bring, raise their own animals, but not everyone did. And so they would go and purchase the lamb. They would purchase an unblemished lamb and they, they would bring it to the, to the temple. But on this day, this is something you made in your home. That you took wheat, the finest of wheat, the, the thinnest wheat, and you would put it together and you would add yeast and you would make these two loaves of bread. It was a very personal sacrifice. This is one where the family would come together and they would make this bread and then they would go to the temple and they would present it to the priest. And in that doing so, the priest would take it and they would present it as a wave offering. And so they would take it and they would hold it up and they would wave it, and they'd, but they didn't wave it back and forth and from side to side. They wave it up and down because it's signifying the connection between man and God and God and man. That God has provided this wheat for us and that we are now giving it back to the Lord. And so they would present this very personal, very intimate connection, this very personal sacrifice to God. Reminds us of this passage Paul shares in Romans 12. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That's very personal. This is a one-on-one between God and the person, between God and this family. They would present this bread just as the sacrifice. Our bodies are a living sacrifice to God to present to the Lord. 
And so you have this, uh, this, this idea that you would come and bring these breads and, and give this to the Lord. Well, over time, as the Israel spread out, the people of God spread, and they became less agriculture, and some people were in cities, there became this new, uh, new tradition with, with Shavuot. That was this new idea that was connected with another incident that happened on this day. So this is a very special day in the Jewish calendar, right? Passover happens on a certain day, and then 50 days after the first fruits is this, is Shavuot. So in our case, June 5th. And imagine that we have, we, we have this set date, and this incident occurs. On Exodus 19, verse 1, it says, On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. So going back to Moses freeing the people, they go and they leave Egypt and the, and, the, and the Egyptians are following them. And you know the story with the Red Sea and they cross the Red Sea and the Red Sea crashes down on Pharaoh's army. And now the people are free. And so now they've wandered and they come up to the, the foothills of Mount Sinai. And it's at this point, it's at this day, the third month and that they have arrived. And in, in this Hebrew culture, in the way of writing, when it says on that day, it means that it's the same number. So on the third day of the third month, they've arrived at Mount Sinai. They got, Moses goes up to meet with God, and God gives him a message. He says, hey, here's what's going to happen. In three days, I want the people of Israel to come to the foothills, to come to the base of Mount Sinai, and I'm going to come and speak to them. I'm going to come and meet with them. And so during this three days, they need to consecrate themselves, they need to cleanse themselves, they need to prepare themselves, because they're going to be in the presence of the Lord. He says, don't let anyone come up on the mountain, if they come up on the mountain, they'll surely die, because they'll be too close to me. But what I want you to do is gather the people at the base of the mountain. You'll know when, because you'll hear me come. And so Moses comes back and he tells the people, okay, we got three days to prepare. And so during this three days, they, they do what they need, it was necessary to consecrate themselves. They do what was necessary to cleanse themselves. All the people, all the, uh, the nation of Israel, but also the other nationalities are, are preparing to meet this Lord, this God of the Jewish people. And so three days later, on the sixth day of the third month, which is Shavat, which is this exact date, that we're talking about, June 5th and this year, and they, they come before the Lord. Exodus 19, verse 16 through 19 says, On the morning of the third day, there was a thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in, in fire. The smoke built up, from, built up from it like a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The people wake up that morning. They know this is the day. This is the day that God has promised he's going to come meet with us. And they're in their, and they're in their huts. They're in their tents. They're, they're preparing for their day and they hear the noise, the rumble of the thunder, 
They look at the mountain and a cloud is descending. And so all the people go and imagine you're there and you go and you gather at the foothill of this mountain because you know if you go up the mountain, you'll surely die. And so you're in awe and you're in fear and you gather with all the crowd, with the, the hundreds of thousands of people all are here together to listen to God. And you look up in the mountain and a cloud has come down and smoke is billowing and fire you see echoing and shooting through the cloud and this great voice and the trumpet is sounding and this great voice of God comes comes down. And this is where the story gets so neat. Because if you're familiar with this idea of Shavat, if you're familiar with the, the Bible as a giant picture, the Bible is God's story all throughout. This is about to show you how God has had this plan. Even for this one festival holiday, all along he's had a plan. God doesn't do things half-hearted or willy-nilly. He has a plan for everything, including your life and mine and including Shavat. So on this day of Shavat, the people come. They come to the mountainside. And our English translation says that on this morning, the third day, there was thunder and lightning. And it says this because in our English and our Western mind, we don't have a way to comprehend what the Hebrews are trying to say. But the Hebrew commentaries, the Jewish commentaries, share this story differently. Because this Jewish idea, they have this idea that words are an object. Words are a thing, a thing to, to be seen, a thing to be felt, that is, as if to say, if I was to speak to you right now, I'm not just speaking and we're not talking about sound waves, we're talking about that there are actual words, these are objects that are coming out of me and coming onto you and penetrating you, is these words, right? If you look at scripture, there's the, the famous passage, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That the word was a thing that was there at the beginning. And so words are objects in this Jewish mindset, in this Jewish culture. And so get this part of the story where our English translation says there's lightning and thunder. What the Jews would see, what their, what their translation has, is that the words were like fire. And so you have this, this image where they're God's words, the word of God coming out of his mouth onto these people that are at the base are coming down like fire. Words of flames are coming down among the people. And all these different nationalities, it's not just Jews that are collected here. There are other people that do not speak Hebrew, that do not understand, cannot, not, cannot communicate with one another. But at the base of this mountain, God speaks in these flaming words that come down among all the people. And every nationality can understand what God is saying. Each person is hearing God in their own dialect, in their own language. And he is speaking to the people, calling them his people, bringing them in together in these flaming words that come down among the people. And Moses goes up as the people are in awe. The people are trembling. The mountain is shaking. These flaming words of God are coming down, and everyone can understand. And they send Moses up, and Moses goes up into the mountain. And it was on this day that he goes up, and he resides on the mountain for some time. And during that time, God gives him the Torah. God gives him the Old Testament, or the Ten Commandments. And God gives him how the people are supposed to live. He gives him the law. And Moses comes back and presents this to the people. 
And the people remember Shabbat as the day that God gave them the law. Shabbat as the day that God met them. Shabbat as the day that God spoke down in flaming words that came down among all the people and gave them the law on how to live, how to follow God, how to be his children of the Lord. And on that day when Moses comes back, the people are sinning. They're not following God's way. And on that day, 3,000 people die because of the sins of the nation. When God gives them the law. And so every day they come together, every year they come together uh, on this particular day on the Jewish calendar. Let's call it June 5th. And they celebrate Shabbat. They celebrate this day that God came and came to them and came in this cloud and came to them at Mount Sinai. They celebrate the day that God presented the, the law, what they have to follow, the, what their guide is, what they are striving to follow and achieve. And so every year they come together, every year they present this offering of the loaves of bread, every year in their families they celebrate, every year they come together with friends and they come to Jerusalem and have this party to celebrate God. This is a day of celebration of thanksgiving, that God provided us with wheat, that God provided us with the law, that God came down and spoke with us. And so every year they celebrate Shabbat. Fast forward about 800 years and you get to the time of the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a prophet when the, the people of Israel are in exile. They've been spread out all over. They've been banished in the many corners of the earth. And, and God is speaking to Jeremiah. He's prophesying to Jeremiah on what Jeremiah is to share with the people of Israel. And he shares this idea of the new covenant. That there was this old covenant, the covenant of the law that Moses brought. And Jeremiah comes and God tells him about this new covenant. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 through 33. God says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. So 800 years later, they've been celebrating Shabbat, and God comes to, the, to Jeremiah and says, It's not going to be like that. There's going to be a new day. There's going to be a change. It's not going to be like when I came to your ancestors because I came to the ancestors. I brought them out of Egypt. I met them on the mountain. I presented them with the law. And they broke this covenant. Because they're failed mankind. Just like you and me. They sinned. They made mistakes. Just like you and me. That there is this law of how you're supposed to live. There is this covenant that if you follow this, he would be their God. And they would be his people, and they broke it. They failed. They couldn't keep their end of this covenant. And so God says, one day there's going to be a new covenant. A new covenant, I make this promise, I make this prophesy, that there will be a new covenant where you will, it won't be like the old where there is a set of laws, but I'm not going to write it on stones, I'm going to write it inside on your hearts and on your minds. This law is going to come and be a personal thing, one-on-one -on -one with each person, and that there will be this connection with the people. 
That the law will almost come and reside within them, in their minds, in their hearts, and they will be a new people. And it says, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And so every year at Shavat, there's this new anticipation. They say, do you, do you hear what Jeremiah has said? Do you, do you hear what God had spoken through the Jeremiah? For generation after generation, they're sharing with their kids and their grandkids. There was this prophet, Jeremiah, and let me tell you about the promise God has. You know how we celebrate Shavat, and we know the story about the cloud coming down on the mountain, presenting the law, but let me tell you the secret. There's this new covenant coming, and it might be this year. It might be this Shavat. And so maybe on the day before Shavat, Shavat Eve, I don't know what it's called, but the day before Shavat, they're telling the kids, tomorrow, let's hope, let's pray, let's desire, tomorrow is the day that the new covenant will come. And then instead of the law, which we're struggling to follow, the law which we've, which we've erred on so much that our people are spread out, that we've been exiled, there will be this new covenant written on our minds and our hearts. And so every year they come in anticipation. They hope and pray, this is the Shabbat, that the Lord will come again and that he will come inside us. And as the sun goes down on that Shabbat, they've had a great celebration but there's some disappointment because it didn't happen again this year. Maybe next year. So the next day, they begin the countdown of 364 days to Shavat, hoping next year is the year that the new covenant will come. And so from the time of Jeremiah making this prophecy for 600 more years, every year they hope, is this the year? Is this the year? And every year, they walk away disappointed. Until... We get to the story in Acts chapter 2. We've been talking about this Old Testament uh, festival called Shavat. It's been going on since God brought the people out of Egypt. Shavat is the Hebrew name. The Greek name is Pentecost. Pentecost. As Christians, we think Pentecost is the day the Holy Spirit came and it's this Christian holiday. No, no. Pentecost has been going on for thousands of years before. Pentecost was happening when they're at the base of Mount Sinai and God came in the cloud. Pentecost has been coming since God has provided the wheat and that they have an opportunity to thank God for what he has provided. So here we have Pentecost. And as we said, Jesus fulfilled the Passover lamb. Jesus fulfilled the first fruits. Jesus is going to fill the promise of Shavat, the promise that Jeremiah has of this new covenant coming. God had a plan. He always does. A plan for this festival, a plan for you and I. So Jesus is buried and raises again. And he spends the next 40 days with his disciples, telling them all the passages, all the background from the Hebrew Bible about how that all pointed to him in the first place. Probably even had a, a session, I bet, on the feasts and the festivals and explaining to them, here's how this one points to me. Here's how the Passover, here's how first fruits, here's how Shavat points to me as well. And so we have this recorded, this moment Jesus goes and he leaves and he ascends to heaven and he, you have the, the Peter and the disciples and the other believers are waiting. Jesus has told them to go and wait in Jerusalem and here they are waiting. And they're waiting behind a locked door in a big upper room. And you think, why? Why are they hiding out? Because this is the festival. There's Jews from every nation that have come together to celebrate Shabbat, to anticipate this waiting of the new covenant. 
Now, there are many different nationalities. There's many different Jews. And what happened the last time this happened? They killed Jesus. The last time there was this gathering in Jerusalem, the Jews took and they led their Savior to the cross and crucified him. And so you still have these disciples in fear from what happened just six weeks ago. And so they've gathered together. And we pick up on the story in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came and rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, "Aren't all these this, all these who are speaking Galileans?" Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? On the day of Pentecost, on the day of Shavuot, God had this story already created thousands of years before. That the tongue of God in fire comes down among the Israelites. That it comes down here. That the Holy Spirit comes and rests upon them. That as God speaks at Mount Sinai and every nation is able to understand, God speaks through the Holy Spirit, through the disciples, and every nation is able to understand. And the people begin to wonder and they begin to question, what's going on? How come I can hear this? Aren't those Galileans? How are they speaking my native tongue? They sound like a native person speaking. And they begin to, those that are doubters begin to say, oh, they're already drunk. And at this, Peter boldly stands up among the many people that are gathered, among the thousands of people that have gathered, the same people that killed his Savior six weeks ago. He now proclaims in front of them, and he begins, we are not drunk. Let me tell you what is going on. Let me tell you about the Holy Spirit that has come upon us. Let me tell you about Jesus, who you sacrificed and who you killed, but who rose again. Let me tell you about the salvation, if you're willing to accept Jesus. Let me tell you about the salvation, about the forgiveness of your sins, about eternity in heaven. Let me tell you all these things, and Peter proclaims this. And that day, that Pentecost, that Shabbat, 3,000 people are not dead like the first time. 3,000 people are saved and joined Jesus in heaven, have eternity sealed as they accept Jesus as their Savior and join the family of God. So what does this mean for us? Of anyone that should have been ready to proclaim, it should have been the disciples, right? They've been traveling with Jesus for three years. They've had this 40 days where Jesus has given them all of this information to tell others about Jesus Christ. And here Peter takes that opportunity when the Holy Spirit comes upon him. The Holy Spirit comes upon them because Jesus has left. Jesus has ascended to heaven 10 days before and this was all part of the plan. Jesus had already shared this. In John 16 verse 7, Jesus says, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. The Spirit of the Lord remained among the people of Israel in a cloud by day, a fire by night, resided there in the Holy Spirit, in the, in the temple. 
God's presence was there. The Holy Spirit was there. When Jesus came and he was baptized, it says that the Spirit came down like a dove and rested upon him. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit was upon Jesus. And through that, Jesus performed miracles and had great teachings and was able to do all this. The Spirit of the Lord rose him from the dead when he, was, when he had died, raised him and brought resurrection and life to him in a grave. And Jesus says, I have to leave because the Spirit is in me when I'm here. But if I ascend to heaven, then I will send the Spirit to all of you. God, who has always been in one place, is now coming to all of us. The spirit which was in Jesus, the spirit which rose him from the dead, is now coming to all of us. It's going to be in each and every one that believes. The spirit is in you. The Holy Spirit is in me. And yet we so often just take that for granted we kind of gloss over it. We're not always comfortable with talking about the Holy Spirit. We're comfortable talking about God and, and praying to God. We're comfortable talking about Jesus and praying to Jesus. But there's a trinity, God, the Father, and the Spirit. And so often we are uncomfortable talking about the Holy Spirit, praying to the Holy Spirit, acknowledging this third entity of the trinity. This is God as well, just as Jesus was God. The Holy Spirit, so often we overlook it. Especially in the Christian church, which Discovery is part of. So much so that Sarah, my wife, when we were doing our master's, she wrote her thesis on, she titled it, The Unknown God, the Holy Spirit, and the Christian Church. Because we don't acknowledge the Holy Spirit. Because we don't look at it, we, we just talk about it briefly in passing. But we don't dive into what the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does. We do a great disservice by missing out on the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that is promised by God, who was sent to us from Jesus. He's here and a gift for us. The Holy Spirit is its own entity. We have God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit acts in its own way, does its own thing, leads in its own way. We see that Paul shares in Acts 15, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you. That there's this act of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit does something. That it's on its own entity, it's its own person. And it's available to each of us. And we so often miss out on this amazing thing. There's a story of a, of a ranch in Texas that had been purchased by a, a, a rancher and a farmer. And they, they had a modest home there and they raised their kids and passed it on down to the kids and who passed it to the grandkids who passed it to the great-grandkids. It was a good ranch. It, it cared for the animals. It provided enough. They had modest means, but they were content. Until four generations later, the great-grandson, noticing that other people were getting oil in Texas, said, I wonder if we have oil on this ranch. And so he hired an oil rig to come and tap into the ground, and, the, and they hit a mother load of oil. One of the richest oil fields in all of Texas was there all along. It's the same way with us as Christians and the Holy Spirit. It's here all along. And so often we are content with just a simple life, content with not tapping into the Holy Spirit, content with not acknowledging it, because we're scared of this idea of the Holy Spirit, because it often gets connected with things that we're uncomfortable with, things that maybe we don't agree with. 
In the early 1900s, there was a revival in Topeka, Kansas. And during this revival, they were talking and they were preaching on the Holy Spirit and a lady began to speak in tongues in a language people couldn't understand. And at this revival, others began to speak in this and this began to spread across the nation and then went to California and from California, it spread across the whole nation and this was the Pentecostal movement. And this idea of the Holy Spirit got connected with this idea of tongues. And so often, for those that don't speak in tongues or don't believe in that, we connect the two. And as the phrase goes, they throw the baby out with the bathwater. Then instead of just separating the two, we throw out the Holy Spirit as well because we're not comfortable with that. But the Holy Spirit is there for each one of us. It is inside us, dwelling, as Jeremiah had prophesied, that the law would no longer be on these tablets, but would be in, would be in our minds and in our hearts, would be inside us. So how do you get the Holy Spirit? Believe in Jesus. John 7, 38 and 39 says, Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. But since Jesus had been glorified, since he ascended to heaven, the Spirit is given to all those believe. And so if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to encourage you to do so today, to accept him as your Savior, to put your faith in him and trust that he died on the cross and rose again as our sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. And if that is the first time you've made this confession, if that's the first time you've professed this, I want to encourage you, come talk to us. And come, come see us in the prayer room. Come talk to us outside. We'd love to be able to support you and, and walk this journey with you. But for those of you, which is the majority that have accepted Jesus already, Scripture says the Holy Spirit's in you. The Holy Spirit's available to you. And so what does that mean? What does the Holy Spirit do? Let me tell you, we have a few scriptures here we're going to read, but I want you to look at the, the attributes of the Spirit that is available to you today, at this moment, tomorrow, next week, next month, for the rest of our life, and we'll see for eternity. The Spirit is our helper. John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and bring, you, bring to you your remembrance all that I have said to you. The helper, the spirit is with us and he will help us recall God's, God's message to us. To recall scripture, to recall, to recall his desire for us. To, to, he will be our helper in times of need. That the Holy Spirit is there for us, residing in us to help us. It says the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and knowledge. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11 says, These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. It's impossible for us to ever fully understand the Lord. As we study scripture, there are questions that I have. As we go through life, many times that we just say, why, God, why? Why is this happening? How could this happen? Where is your plan? What's going on? And it's here that the Spirit will speak to us, give us wisdom and knowledge. It is here that the Spirit would give us insight, through that the Spirit would speak through the word of the Lord, that the Spirit would speak in other manners, that the Spirit would come to us and help us understand God's plan 
as best in our human minds we can. It says that the Spirit is there during our weakness. Romans 8, 26 through 27 says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the minds of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. That the Spirit is in us, and it, 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 that is there in our midst of our weakness. In the times that we're broken, in the times that we're distraught, in the times that we've hit rock bottom, in the times that we don't even know what to say to God, we don't know how to pray to God, that all we have is tears and a loss for words, the Spirit speaks for us. It groans for us. It intercedes for us to the Lord. The Spirit is inside us and is our connection to God. And this is available to each one of us because of Pentecost, because of the Spirit that has come down, because of Jesus ascending so we could have the Spirit. I love this. The Holy Spirit is the seal for us as believers. In, in the old times, if you, were, if you were a property of something, you would have a seal that would mark it and say, this belongs to the king. This is part of the royal home. And the Holy Spirit has done the same as we are adopted as God's children. Ephesians 1.13 says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. When we believed, we're marked. When we believe, when we confess that Jesus Christ is our Savior, the Spirit comes upon us and we are marked for salvation. We have eternity in heaven. We are forgiven for our sins and our sins are washed away and we will have eternity with God forever because we are marked by the Holy Spirit. And I love this part. The Spirit gives us eternal life. Romans 8, 10 through 11 says, But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. The Spirit that rose Jesus in a grave and moved the tomb is the same Spirit that, give, that resides in us and will give us eternity in heaven. That same Spirit is in you right now. And so often we miss the Holy Spirit. We're like that rancher that's just going contently with what they have and oblivious to the fact that there's oil below. As Christians, we so often are oblivious to the fact that the Holy Spirit is here available to us as a helper, as a counselor, uh, that it convicts us, that it guides us, that it brings us knowledge, that it seals us, and that it gives us eternal life. And then here's this about the Spirit. It dwells in us. It's God's presence in us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? This idea that Paul is talking to the Jews, he says, do you not know your body is a temple? The temple was a set place where God resided. The temple is where you would go to meet God. You would make a pilgrimage if you didn't live in Jerusalem, and you would venture all the way to Jerusalem, and you would ascend up the steps to the temple just to be in the presence of God, just to present your request to God, just to present your sacrifice to God. And here, Paul is saying, do you not know your bodies are that temple? This new covenant that Jeremiah prophesied about, 
that there, there would be a time when the, when the law would come and it would be no longer on tablets, but it would be in our minds and in our hearts that we would be a new people and that he would be our God and God would be, and we would be his people. This is today. We are this temple. We are, God is in us. The Holy Spirit. Isn't that awesome? And so, we have the Spirit that we so often miss, that we so often let go, and we so often miss the fact that he's here for you and me to guide us, to hold us, to be there in our weakness. The spirit that rose the Christ from the dead, the spirit that ascended on Mount Sinai and spoke to the people in fiery tongues that all could hear the same spirit that did the same story on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, came down in fiery tongues and spoke to all the people. That same Holy Spirit is in you and I. Are we tapping in to that spirit? Are we missing the fact that we have this thing available to us and we're just living life without it? Are we walking our daily path willing to turn to the, to the Holy Spirit? In times of need, praying for comfort from the Spirit. In times of confusion, praying for wisdom. Coming to the Spirit for guidance and love. Peter. Peter has walked with Jesus for three years. Peter has seen Jesus die on a cross, convinced he is dead, knows he is dead, saw the water and the blood come out, perhaps, that Peter was there. He knows he's dead, and yet he saw Jesus alive, touched his wounds, walked with him, ate with him. For the next 40 days, learned from him all that the scriptures are pointing to him. Peter, this man of God, this man that has been walking with Jesus, is hiding out behind a locked door, scared of the crowd waiting for what Jesus has promised. But then the Holy Spirit comes. And now you have Peter bold, willing to proclaim to the thousands, the thousands that just crucified his Savior, willing to proclaim because he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he's bold enough to announce this. And instead of the 3,000 that died in Mount Sinai, 3,000 are saved because the Holy Spirit is inside him. And I pray that we see that boldness, that the Holy Spirit came inside Peter and made him bold, that we would have that boldness. That the Holy Spirit is with us when we go to work tomorrow and there's that person at the cubicle next to you that you know you need to be able to point to Christ, that you want to invite to church or ask them if they have a relationship with Jesus, that you want to tell them about it, that you would have this boldness in the Holy Spirit to proclaim that. That when you go and you're with your friends, that you could be able to share with them. That share with them about Jesus. Ask them if they have a relationship. And sure, you're putting yourself out there. But are we willing to do that? Are we willing to have the boldness of the Holy Spirit speak in us as Peter did? That in our homes, are we willing to live boldly for Jesus? That in the darkness and the privacy, when we're alone and there's temptation and there's sins that are coming at us that we've given him to every time, are we willing to tap into the Holy Spirit for the boldness to turn away from those sins and follow Jesus Christ? Because that Holy Spirit is available to each one of us. For Pentecost, for Shabbat, it's a celebration. It's this thanksgiving of what God has given us, that God gave us the wheat, that God gave us the, the law, that God gave us the Holy Spirit that's living inside us. And so the festival, the celebration of Shabbat changed over time. That instead of the loaves of bread, it, it became this idea of there's two meals. 
two meals you would celebrate, and you would have one meal, a dairy meal, and then you would have a short break, and then you would have the meat meal. And so it was this way to celebrate. It was just this idea of being excited for God, thanking God for the wheat, thanking God for his presence, thanking God now for the Holy Spirit that is inside us to celebrate this. And so you would have a dairy meal, which the, the purpose of the dairy meal is that the scripture was like milk nourishing to a baby, that it nourishes our soul. And so oftentimes, as the dairy meal, they'll have cheesecake. And so you would have cheesecake as your first meal. You'd have dessert first. And so this morning, as you walked in, I hope you had a piece of cheesecake. If not, you can grab one on your way out. But there was a reason for it. This is our celebration day. This is Shabbat. This is Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is in us. So let us celebrate as they have with this tradition of first a dairy meal and then a meat meal. And so on your way out, we have hot dogs being made. And I know it seems silly, but I want to encourage you, grab a hot dog. Even if you're headed to Cracker Barrel, use it as an appetizer, all right? Because this isn't just a hot dog on the way out. This isn't just something to pass up. This is a celebration. This is a great day. The Holy Spirit is here, and we're going to celebrate with a dairy meal and a meat meal and with our fellow believers for all of time. That God has always had this plan, and part of that plan is you and I and the Holy Spirit inside us. When, when we were in Africa, they uh, would have a revival every night. And uh, people would come, there, was, we were out in the far bush, right? It was an hour, hour and a half away from the nearest paved road. And so the people would come and they would walk for miles every night, barefoot to the homestead. And at the homestead, there was no electricity. It was just the, as the sun went down, it was the stars and the moon and the fire that we had going on. But you would see many Africans coming from every angle, walking through the fields. And when they gathered, and we would have preaching and we would have worship. And the, the time would start about six or seven at night and go on for hours and hours to one or two in the morning. And it happened the whole week that I was there. And there was every once in a while this time in between speakers or songs that there was silence. And you'd just be sitting under God's creation and you would hear this voice. And sometimes it was a, a female voice, an African voice, and sometimes it was a male from the other side. But they would start with one single phrase, a singular voice, and they would say, the presence of the Lord is here. I can feel it in the atmosphere. The presence of the Lord is here. The presence of the Lord is here. I feel it in the atmosphere. The presence of the Lord is here. The presence of the Lord Slowly other Africans would join in and you'd hear this group singing all together and, and they would be singing louder and they'd say, the spirit of the Lord is here. The Lord I can is feel here. it in the atmosphere. The spirit of the Lord is here. I feel it in the atmosphere. And eventually, these hundreds of Africans that are here for this revival would stand up together. If you'll stand with me, they would stand up together and this echoing under the stars under God's creation would proclaim, the power of the Lord is here. The power of the Lord is here. I can feel it in the atmosphere. They would all sing.
power of the Lord is here. Lord, we come to you right now, and those that need to accept Jesus, I pray that, that you put that burden on their heart, that they do so this morning. And for those of us that have accepted him as our Savior, that have given our lives over to him, and that have that seal of the Holy Spirit inside us, let us realize that. Let us not miss this amazing gift that you have given us. But God, your presence is here. Let us feel it in the atmosphere. The power of the Lord is here. Let us feel it in the atmosphere this morning as we close out and as we leave here today and as we take you with us everywhere we go because we are your temple and the Holy Spirit is inside us. Let us know the presence of the Lord is here. Let us feel it in the atmosphere. <laughs>